Welcome to the Week in IndyCar, your guest episode with our good friend of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, that being Michael Shank, intrepid team owner in IndyCar and IMSA. So glad that we're going to have Mike on today to speak about the thing that is on everybody's mind, this COVID-19 coronavirus and how it's affecting him, his business, his employees, planning for the future, income, security, all manner of things. We always do. We say great, great thanks to Cooper Tires for their ongoing support of our show. The Justice Brothers, their line of automotive chemicals and lubricants, which I have used genuinely since my very first day as a gopher, as a junior open-wheel racing mechanic in 1986, working on Mike McHugh's SCCA Super V and Anson SA4, powered by a delightful little, I don't know, 180 horsepower, 1.6 liter Volkswagen four-cylinder motor. Uh, The Justice Brothers, for real, been part of my life almost forever. So blessed to have Ed Justice and his family all these years later supporting what we do here on the podcast. Also, our really good friends, the funny and fine folks at torontomotorsports.com who make all of our t-shirts and stickers and you name it and sell all kinds of great racing memorabilia. And finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA. They keep our brains safe and keep all kinds of parts of us looking mighty, mighty sharp. So thanks to them. Thanks to you. Thanks to you. Great questions for Mike. This is a listener-driven format. And without overstating the obvious, your involvement and engagement every week makes this show possible and what it is. So that's the first topic we're going to start with before we get to Mike. That is, will we continue doing this Q&A format in the weeks ahead, months ahead? Who knows how long this coronavirus lockdown is going to be in effect. So I'm going to send out a call for questions each week. So we get to a point to where with no racing and not a lot to talk about in terms of sustaining items, who qualified where, which team did great, which one struggled, I will have to see. So I, well, I'm not stopping the podcasts. That's, that's not an issue. But in terms of format, we're just going to have to roll with this like you all are rolling with the daily changes to our lives. Second point to cover here is on that subject, daily changes to our lives. Really do want to extend a heartfelt thank you to the dozens of you, if not more. I I can't keep count of how many of you all have sent direct messages, emails, texts, or just through the normal social show. I'm not even drunk, but it sounds like it. Good Lord. The normal social media avenues to inquire mostly about my wife and her health and how she is doing. And uh, you also been kind enough to inquire about me as well, but mostly about Mrs. Pruitt, my wife, Shabrell. Uh, who I think most of you know, but I'll share for those who don't. We have been in a fight against breast cancer since September of 2018. Things got fairly bad, fairly dire last May when the cancer spread and attacked her back and did all kinds of bad things. And so she has been recovering since then. So we're doing very, very well. She is just a daily inspiration with her resolve and courage and fight to defeat this cancer can tell you, as I know I've had a couple of folks say, Hey, we haven't heard any kind of updates on how things are going. We are not done fighting cancer. Chemotherapy, our weekly chemotherapy sessions are not over. I can tell you there's a hope there. There's a, strong feeling that we aren't too far away from reaching the end of a need for chemotherapy. And that would be, (laughs) 
Oh, that'll be a day filled full of happy dances. And I probably will be drunk. I'll be drinking like a fish that day. And oh, boy. So, yeah, uh, just I'm sure you can understand if you have been fighting something now for what, a year and a half, more than a year and a half. The possibility of that almost maybe possibly coming to an end in the near future. Boy, um, that has us both just very, very encouraged. So not there yet, but we can genuinely say it feels like, I don't know how many months into the future again. I can't tell you when that point will be, but at least it does not feel like the lingering question mark of will it ever end. So again, like this coronavirus, I can't tell you when we're going to get past it, but it doesn't feel like it's never going to end. And that's a beautiful thing that we are are living in. Her mobility challenges, which we have never put a, a fine spotlight on, she is making um, just amazing strides there. When we get past that, I am going to look forward to sharing about that. We had something happen last night, and I apologize that I cannot go into details because that is my wife's decree but we had something happen last night for the first time that i was fighting back the tears on because it hadn't happened in nine months maybe uh, a really long time so apologies again that i can't get into that because her wishes are to not get into that but amid this coronavirus outbreak and the fears and everything that i know a lot of folks are feeling, and I assume some of you as well, uh, have you really anxious or gripped in fear or whatever it might be. We've been blessed with some things on the home front that just, yeah, uh, boy, smiles. Smiles at a time where otherwise they might be harder to find. We've had another quick change there too. Third item here to mention Happened to live in the Bay Area, born and raised here, never left. All the stuff I did in racing would either it'd be fly-out work, contract work, or I'd just go and be with the team for the season but then come home at the end. Uh, we, I think, were the first to do shelter-in-place, and the county that we live in is one of those shelter-in-place regions in the Bay Area. So since, what, 12 a.m., 12.01 a.m., Tuesday morning, uh yeah we've kind of sort of had the vast majority of our weekly calendar wiped clean uh, some of you may know that we've been doing between minimum four but sometimes five uh, occasionally six trips per week so those are individual days just on the move constantly to physical therapy and chemo and this and that and appointments and doctor visits and so on well uh, I guess thanks, if that's the word, thanks to this shelter-in-place mandate. Uh, we're not doing a whole heck of a lot, so we're going to have to improvise a bit here and try and do physical therapy on our own at home. And uh, yeah, so that's part of our scheduling adjustment. The work-from-home item, which I think some of you might be doing more of or for the first time, that's been my reality when I'm not at a racetrack. That's been my reality since, what, 2006, 2007, when I moved over from being a crew member or mechanic or whatever on the team side to being an idiot reporter. So that part, uh, I guess I'm, I'm pretty much in the groove there. So those are some of the main things going on here. Wanted to share up front. Uh, fourth and final item. This is just me trying to always be transparent with the show. Taking a couple hits recently, whether it was a one-star rating on Apple Podcasts or uh, other listeners saying, dude, just get to just start the show. Just, you know, shut up. I want to hear your nonsense. I think it was described as aimless rambling to start the show. No clue as to how to edit was the most recent complaint. And 
I get that. I get that for some. The preference is, dude, whatever, your wife, your cats, your what? It's not what I'm here for. Just give me the, the person, give me the guest, or give me the Q&A, but just you, quiet. I get that. I get that that's a preference for some, and I have no argument against that. After thinking about it and knowing that it is very easy for me to make that adjustment, it's not going to happen because that's not me and that's not the style that makes sense for me. As I shared at the end of our listener Q&A episode this week, I was actually heavily contemplating making that change. And just truly, 30 seconds in, off we go. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mike Shank, let's talk about this. was all prepared to do that. Uh, after getting hammered a couple times recently. And then <laughs> the following morning, I got a direct message from a listener who reminded me of something of why I won't change this conversational format, this less slick, less bang, 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 pace, pace, pace type format. It's him sending a direct message. Won't mention him by name, obviously. It was a private uh, communication, but the tone of it, it's not the first time I've received one of these. So he's been going through some hard times, very hard times. He has dealt with a lot of loss, uh, a lot of things in his life that have led him to seek things, to find motivations, to wake up every morning things where he's contemplated whether he wants to wake up every morning. And I've been through that as well. Uh, I've had those very same thoughts and questioned whether life was something I wanted to continue uh, when I lost my father in the mid-90s, and he was pretty much my guy. It was me and him against the world. And it's just a reminder from this listener who said, your podcast, among others, wasn't singling out this podcast, but your podcast, among some other things, other shows, they've helped. They do help me to get through and added a note at the end of, I'm not exactly sure why I'm sending this to you. And I know you've got problems of your own and I'm you know, apologized for what he felt was offloading his problems on me. And I just replied to him and said, no, it's not a problem. Send me anything, please. Let's communicate more. But the take-home part for me was, I know why he sent that. And it wasn't because of me personally, hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of the Marshall Pro Podcast. He wasn't sending that to me personally. He was sending that to us because this is a little community of ours, genuinely driven and powered by you, your questions, your interaction, the style, the fun. You guys you guys send in the best questions. They're either hilarious, they either clown me and make fun of me, which I love because I that's what I do. Every time I see a friend of mine, I think of the worst thing I could say to put them on the back of their heels knowing that I'm going to get it back. It's just that fun, loose, playful thing. You all think through the most abstract scenarios possible that I don't think of. And it's my job. I get paid to think of everything and try and write about it and cover it. Uh, it is probing, questioning, want to know more, or here's something funny, or here's something asinine, and I'm pissed off about this in one event, and so I've sent in my th thing to the show. It's all those things that add up to a little community that we have here where when someone is having a great time and looking for something to kill time, well, dang it, we got some podcasts for you. And as I have been reminded by this listener, and I've had this similar note sent in over the last couple of years, sometimes when things get hard or get dark, being able to go to a place and listen to questions sent in from folks that feel a bit like family or present questions in a way that aren't just dry. Hi, tell me about the thing. Hey, why did this happen and not that happen? We don't get a lot of those. It's just more of a interactive format that we have here. 
And I'd like to believe it's because I try and treat you all like family. I try and let my vast number of flaws and ticks and whatever it is be a part of the show. So could I edit every show down to a much smaller thing where it's just the bare bones, bang, 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 absolutely. Does that fit what this show has become? For hashtag me personally, no. And so uh, I appreciate those folks who have listened or tried listening and said, nah, man, this format or style just isn't it. That dude, Mr. Aimless Rambling, not a chance. Got no argument with that. This doesn't work for some. That means I'm going to leave traffic and downloads on the table. This means I know what I do with this show and some of the other conversational Q&A style shows could be more popular and reach a wider audience if I just went to a more direct bang, 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 30 seconds and we're straight in. I know that. It's not new news. I've been aware of it the whole time. I'm just going to choose to stick with what we do and have done here for a couple of years now, knowing that it's going to lead to the occasional one-star review. This guy is the worst or an idiot or whatever. I don't disagree with any of that, but I just wanted to say thank you for those who continue to listen, who engage in this community you all have built. There's one of me, man. (laughs) There's one of me. And based on the numbers that I see each week, there are thousands upon thousands of you. So I'm going to just keep doing what we do and hopefully it continues to work for you. And for those who are in a place where maybe this thing helps pass time or helps make things a tiny bit better in their lives, that is why I spend many hours a week cranking out many podcasts because I love doing this and I love the fact that you all are here to participate in it and make it possible. So with that said, I'm going to make one adjustment, which is the fifth and final note here. This comes in via great listener who I love giving a hard time to. He does to me as well. Ryan Terpstra, who said, you know, on this topic, why don't you do this for those who don't want to listen to anything other than your guest or the Q&A or get straight to the heart of the show, why don't you just start including a timestamp that says at X minutes and X seconds, that is where this begins. So that's what I'm going to start doing. Hopefully for those who have suffered through, maybe that will be a welcome adjustment For those of you with the incredibly poor judgment to actually listen through this nonsense, well, at least you'll now have the the escape number, the escape code, X minutes, X seconds, on with the show. Let's get going with our truly awesome pal, Michael Shank, making his 10th appearance on our podcast. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Other than Mike Hull and I think Robin Miller, you're on the podium for sure on all-time appearances on the good old podcast your idiot buddy here does, Michael Shank. Uh, thanks for helping us to hit number 10 in terms of appearances, and thanks for, thanks for making some time. I don't know where you found it. We're so busy right now. I'm bored off my ass. I'm happy to talk to you. <laughs> so are you kidding me? This is number 10, which I didn't realize, but that's awesome too. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to talk. I'm sitting here at my home computer today, uh, watching the world uh, unravel a little bit, and, and but keeping up on it with their you and Racer. All good, man. Well, we do have some great questions as usual. You know that. You, you've answered them many times, and we're going to get to one specifically in a moment, but I, I also wanted to maybe trail that up front. I've been worried about you because looking yeah. at all the photos of the Walmarts and the Krogers and the whatever it is, 
all the aisles are just wiped out except for fruits and vegetables of course um how how's the bush light supply doing uh in the midwest there shank because uh, we can look at airdrops or something uh i don't know if there's been hoarding going on if you've been on ebay trying to buy you know a six pack for a hundred dollars but are you safe in that regard I'm happy to report that I have three dirty 30 cases, three <laughs> dirty thirties they're called. And, uh, I've got three of them. I got one on ice or in coldness and the other two are warm that I can slide in. So I'm, I'm set for at least a week. Michael's air is safe. <laughs> Michael's oxygen yes. is in place. All right. Well, as usual, we tend to have a lot of fun when we do stuff together. We do know though that boy, fun maybe has not been the word of the week or the month so let's get going here with uh, ross porter asking a question that i know many folks have posed in various ways ross says mike wondering what your stance is on the canceling of the st petersburg race should also mention just minutes ago long beach was formally canceled uh yeah. ross says hashtag me personally it's easy for me to say from a fan standpoint uh, but it seems that since everyone was already in place at the track, that any damage that was going to be done had already been done. Why not go ahead and at least put on the race minus fans in attendance? So it seems like an awfully big burden all, all the way to floor, only to return empty-handed. And he also mentions, hope you got stocked up and plenty of supply of bush and best luck the rest of the year. But yeah, man. what do you think about that, Mike? Because to his point, if everyone's there... I know that the virus, we're hoping it didn't spread and wasn't there, but what do you think about that? Everyone's there, but go home. Listen, I have a couple I have a couple phases. I'm going to call it phases, uh, phases of, of what I think about that question because I went through two. And when we got to the track, you know, the great thing that, you know, Jay Fry and Roger Penske did is communicate a lot with us. And also, by the way, I could tell right away, ain't none of us been through this before, Right. So it's very fluid. So immediately, I'm my aggressiveness, like, what the heck are we doing? That's kind of tone, right? Because I understand we're in new uncharted territory. Right? That's number one. Number two is, is after we got there Wednesday and got set up and the scuttlebutt started going around the powder block, um, you know, I was absolutely all for staying and running the race. We're there. Uh, we get each team gets 25 people they can bring in. We went through uh, meetings, two meetings with Jay and, and Roger. We all agreed that that was the right thing to do, um, and we broke huddle Thursday night. And um, and, and if, if I think about the world at that time, you know, my head was not fully invested to the true catastrophe we're looking at here right now, both health and, and financial, right? And so as I learned more, um, that we came Friday, and, and I agreed. We were on the wrong side of that argument, mm. I believe. We needed to get home, to get our guys home, to get people away from each other, to not spread this thing around. And I didn't understand the full impact of that like I do today. Okay, So rearview mirroring it now, I am in agreement that that race should have been stopped. If we would have raced, we'd have been on the wrong side of that argument, in my opinion. Um, uh, the way I look at it right now, uh, we need to keep away from each other for a couple weeks till we all know we're safe. Uh, and not infected, and let this thing uh, run through the system. And the sooner we do that, the better, the quicker we can get back to Indianapolis Motor Speedway and uh, get to racing again in here in May when the CDC says we can gather again. And that, and by the way, the CDC thing is what I watch the most, Marshall. I, I think like right many now. people, I just followed, the you know, a couple of days ago, the CDC on Twitter and everything else is probably going to be the most popular social media account uh, at least in north america here for yeah quite a while yeah and and so I, I i'm answering this in the long term i think it was the right thing to do yes i'm upset that i spent before i roll a wheel marshall before we roll a tire and start a motor we've spent 100 to 150 grand just to be there okay and you know we basically uh, forego that now and that's gone and i don't like that and none of us can take that for a long time you know and um, so I don't like that part of it, but I understand the health and well-being a lot more today than I did uh, four days ago. Um, so I'm, I'm happy where we're at right now and want to get this over with. 
And for those who are hearing Mike on the Week in IndyCar on my podcast for the first time, that answer you just received is the exact reason Mike is among a small handful of go-to team owners. I'm not blowing smoke here. We're friends as it is. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the reason that I call Mike in times like these or Brian Herta or a few others is you're not going to get corporate nonsense. You're going to get straight answers because the the least we can do is be honest and relate in the fact that you, as you mentioned, that's a hundred hundred and fifty k that you're having to swallow and not sure how that's going to come back. That leads into the next question here from Michael Brennan. It says Michael, I think it's an obvious question, but how does this pandemic affect your team from a business standpoint? He asks, and this maybe isn't. I wouldn't paint this specifically of your sponsors. Maybe you can give a, a more of a general take. He says, can sponsors back out of contracts if the series is on hold indefinitely? I mean, this is the other thing, too. It's not just you huddling with Roger Penske and Jay Fry. It's you being on the phone with your partner, Jim Meyer, CEO of SiriusXM, and the folks at AutoNation, and run down the list of every sponsor that every team has and those folks calling and communicating. Talk to us about the, the business ramifications, how you try and make sponsors whole when you don't know when you can get on track to deliver the advertising or B2B opportunities this is the area I would think is scaring the living poop out of you and some others who rely on being on track to survive. Absolutely true. So here's what I have to say about that, and I have to be a little bit careful, um, but I'll, I'll tell you, every, everybody, what I, what I can tell you. Um, everybody's deal is different, right? My deal is different than, uh, you know, Michael Andretti's deal is with DHL and, and so on and so forth, right? I happen to have uh, three great partners in Acura, AutoNation, SiriusXM, that are more than just partners and they're understanding folks. Uh, obviously, they have a business to run and have board members to uh, count to, but um, everybody's contract is different. I'm still untangling where I'm at with that right now, but here's what I can tell you. We make commitments to these folks in the IndyCar side to run 17 races, and uh, we need to deliver on those 17 races. If we don't, then there's going to be something that has to get adjusted. Okay. The trick to this is, is how can we make everyone whole and set up for the year after, right? Because long-term I'm not going to let this ruin my relationship with my sponsors, right? I've got to figure out a way to work with them. They're very, very reasonable, hundred percent supportive companies that are outstanding to what they do. And, um, uh, uh, and I'm working through it now exactly how that will affect us, but it will have an effect. As we just learned uh, uh, 10 minutes ago, Long Beach is off the schedule not to be rescheduled. So um, what happens with that slot is uh, up to Jay and Roger to come up with. They understand that we all have commitments for certain amounts of outings and markets, and um, we're going to do everything to fulfill that. Let's follow this up with a, a related question on a topic that I dove into in our listener Q&A episode that went up on Monday night about how can fans, heck, it's me, it's not just fans, I'd say everybody in the sport, whether on, you know, in the paddock or outside, how can we safeguard this thing that we love? And this question comes in from Reddit, Pamela Henderson, who asks, Mike, I appreciate your honest comments about the hardship this situation causes for a team like yours. He says, outside of handing you cash, is there something the series could do to help you all? Or is there another way to create value for your sponsors without them being on track? Adds that I hope this all gets resolved in time for May, which I'm not exactly sure that's going to happen. But what are some of the things you think either series, fans, otherwise can do to just create that value or, or help teams to get through this? Well, there, there are different things the series can do. Um, one is just simply communicating with us, even if it's bad news. Let us know what's going on so we're never stuck wondering kind of what the thought pattern is of where we're going with everything, which they do that. Now, uh, I can tell you, and I don't want to go into too much detail here, the series is trying to help as much as I can financially, and I'll let the series tell folks that when, when and if they want to. But I can tell you that the series and Roger understand all of our positions. I'm just talking IndyCar side now, right? 
but the, the IndyCar is, uh, understands that we're all in a deep pickle here with contracts and, and all that. And they are coming up with some solutions for us. Not enough to really, you know, change our world, but maybe enough to, to bridge, bridge a gap here or there, you know? And, um, we'll look at all means we can to keep this going. Now, socially, I think to keep the work, you know, we all knew that IndyCar was on a great kind of trajectory, I believe, you know, uh, going into St. Pete. And this will definitely put a, a dip in the arc, unfortunately. Um, but, um, you know, in this off time, whatever we can do, like shows like yours, Marshall, or communicating with fans or people that want to talk about it, creating content, all that stuff means that when we re-engage, it should be like a mini explosion going off. And uh, we reset the arc and we continue on with what we're doing. I don't know if that answers it, it all does. the way. But. No, no, it helps. And, you know, there's more here we'll get to. want to move, though, to, I would say, the most important question of the episode. Hmm. It comes in from Josh Rinell, who says, Mike, is it true that bush light kills this stupid virus and cures all that ails you? Um, kidding well, aside. What is true is I. What is true is I'm negative right now, so I guess that's probably true. Holy cow! <laughs> you are the cure. You need to go around and just touch people's faces. No, don't do that. Don't. Do I that. could. Uh, I could. It could give my blood out. Maybe that would help. You, you get a gallon. Get a quarter of my blood out here and spread it around. Purifying from the inside out. I love it, yeah, Michael Shank. Yeah. You're you're a scientist as well. A um, real giver. A real giver. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Yeah, how about one from our pal Michael Goodyear? It says, Mike, do you have any suggestions on races? Fans might go back and watch while we all wait for a more stable situation regarding this COVID-19 virus. He says, specifically, are there some lesser-known Meyershank racing highlight moments that still stand out to you as noteworthy? And I'd say that, you know, this isn't just IndyCar, but uh, anything you guys have done. Uh, Michael says, I've rewatched parts of the 2012 Daytona 24 Hours many times because of how epic that win was, but I'd love to find out if there are some more Michael Shank or Meyer Shank racing events I should go find on YouTube. Well, I mean that, you know, if I'm being, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, there's, there's some, there's been some cool things happening in our world for sure. Uh, you go back and watch the, the Detroit one, two finish for the Acura NSX. I'm super proud of, uh, that was the first time our team had ever finished one, two. Was that 2017 um, or 18? Tw- 2018, that was. 2018, that was. I'm pretty proud of that moment. You go back and you look at the race we won at 2016 in uh, DP. Uh, you know, at Petit Le Mans overall, we won the race. We had a tremendous race weekend. That was kind of fun. You know, if we go outside the MSR stuff, you know, stuff that I like to go back and watch. In fact, um, I, I've, I've seen it, a, you know, a couple different times. I was just watching a, a Paul Tracy uh, end of champ car era race uh, that was posted up on Twitter earlier today. I like watching some of the older stuff like that. But even beyond that, you know, you think about some of those races that Texas has had with, you know, with Ray Hall and those guys with a couple of generations of bodies ago, I think, um, on the IndyCar. I think, you know, some of those really close um, oval races that have been in the past, and IndyCar really are exciting. And you just, you literally are cringeworthy, right? And uh, that's the kind of stuff that I, I, I appreciate and I like to watch. True competition. Let's go to Otto Kinzel. We get this every time you come on, and I love it. He says, Mike, I'd love to know more about your career as a driver. And see, more folks are asking about that in the background, apparently. Uh, and especially your experience being able to race in IndyCar. Uh, he says, could you discuss the aftermath of the one Indy Racing League event you did and were there any <laughs> real prospects for doing additional races? See, folks, remember, you were a race car driver. That's when I first yeah. learned learned your name. I, it, I'll tell you, I have a fairly good co- – you know, this all started because I wanted to drive race cars, right? The, the whole reason we're sitting here today. And at the time, and, and there was probably a time I was a pretty maybe slightly above average driver. You were? I think – a slight, you know, but I had some weaknesses that I look back on now today, and I think I could have cured knowing what I know today, Marshall. I think I could have fixed some of my problems. Like what? But uh, it's all head stuff. It's not physical. It's all the way I process information and data coming into my head in a very fast pace. And the truly great drivers, you take, I, I, everyone uses him as this, but truly great drivers like uh, Scott Dixon, right? 
Never he, can heard take of him. Seven, he can take seven inputs, manage all those brilliantly, and then two more other imports come in because they have to, and he, he still manages them, puts them in line, prioritizes them, and goes on. My brain, when an extra input comes in, it, I, I picture a mouse running around in my head, and it just goes to tilt, and it's, then off I go into some wall somewhere. So, um, you know, listen, I worked really hard. A lot of people helped me get along. Uh, drove tons of race cars, a lot of good old Swift race cars, almost everything ever created by Swift. See, I, can drove. I, I just need to mention, there is... There's a, a nationwide, and there's also an international aspect, but it's mostly a nationwide brotherhood and sisterhood of the Swift, right? Yeah. DB1, yeah, yeah. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, etc. Uh, the Atlantic cars as well. I mean, truly some of the most beautiful cars ever made, most finely engineered, designed and built in Southern California, super American I'm just saying, I've worked, you have worked on a lot of race cars. Give me a Swift DB1 sitting in the garage. That might be the most beautiful and most perfect race car I can just about think of. Yeah, you know, the DB1, would. if you ask me of all the Swifts, what I would have in my garage or hang on my wall would be the DB1. It was perfection times 10. And uh, simple, fast, revolutionized the category incredibly fun to drive i mean just just awesome to drive um and uh, and relatively inexpensive for its time and uh david bruns was a brilliant guy I, I did get to know him a little bit competing against him even in his own cars later on toward the end of the d uh the d before area and, and even on into the you know the later atlantic cars you know and um a brilliant guy. I was a, I was a Swift dealer for a period of time back in the mid nineties. So I got to go to the factory when they built that wind tunnel, which has been 30 years, 25, 20 years ago now or something. But, um, you know, really cool. It's unfortunate that we don't hear about them anymore, but, um, I started there, drove all of them, got all the way up, did an IR, uh, IRR race in 97, I guess. Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. It was miserable for me. Um, finished 13th, I think, but I was probably three laps down at least. And I think when I got out of that race, I realized that, you know, my time is limited here. My preparation business was going, getting stronger. And, uh, it was a natural transition. I think for me, I get what I need for the old ego out of the owning side compared to driving. And, um, you know, that's where it's at for me, Marshall. Ever a desire, Mike, with those old racing bones to go and, just spend some fun time, no pressure time in a whatever you might have still sitting in the shop from back in the day. The only thing that once in a while I feel like I, I have something to prove I did I, I, is in Sports 2000. Okay, that's where I really came into things, right? And I never had a pot to piss in, literally. I was borrowing, stealing, no, oh, same old story a lot of guys have had and girls. And, um, now that I could probably afford to do it, uh, and now, of course, they're vintage cars now, Marshall. I know. So, I know. But, uh, but, you know, we but, should mention, if the cars that you worked on back in the day or drove back in the day, they you age, we age, those things, be, you know, the DP you ran 15, 16 years ago in, in Grand Am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, that thing is now a vintage car. But for yeah. those who are y- young enough and don't know, when you look at that car or I look at the thing I worked on, I don't see vintage. I don't see, to me, it's this, it's brand new and I'm transported back to that point in time. It takes, that's, a, your, that's, that's your old eyeballs, right? It's a it's mental adjustment. Old, you got to <laughs> yeah. do and go, Oh man, that was the coolest thing ever. I love it. And now everyone says, Oh, look at that old hunk of junk. And I'm going, Oh my God, really? I've aged yeah. that much. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I guess if anything, maybe I'd go, but I, I really like the, we developed the Swift DB5 a lot, which was the last Sports 2. We put a lot of effort in developing that car with Swift, and I loved that car. Also, I love driving the Lola, the Lola Sports 2. The last generations of the Lolas were also great, great fun to drive. Um, anyways, that's probably it for me. Well, I'm raising my hand. You need an old Swift mechanic to come, you know, help you, you run you for the day. Uh, I can 
torque a wheel like anybody. Uh, let's see, where should we go? Let's go to Shauna Oakwood. It says, Mr. Shank, as an owner in both series, what are your thoughts about more combined IMSA and IndyCar weekends? She also asked, which tracks would you be interested in seeing this done at and why? Um, this is a, this is a good question. I think we could make uh, certain events a real event by combining them. You know, we have it at Long Beach. We have it at Detroit right now. They're good weekends. They can be a bit cumbersome operationally. Um, I would have to really think about what's the true value of it for the, for the hardcore fan. I think it would be awesome. Um, for the general show, it can be difficult to, to run for everybody. Uh, because someone has to take a back seat. So if you're calling IndyCar the A, the, the primary show, then they get the prime spot on Sunday, which is not the end of the world. Um, you know, IMSA and Grand Am, before that, we did shows with NASCAR that I always thought were pretty good to get in front of the people. Um, I'd, be, I'd be in favor of three, three or four of them. Uh, market-wise, um, you know, if you look at a Road America, I think it would be pretty cool to do something like that, you know, uh, some of the traditional tracks I think would be pretty cool. I always like street courses. I really do. I like the potential for the, the event feel having concerts and other kind of entertainment besides just, um, racing, which long beach do a brilliant job. St. Pete does a good job. Um, but they are tough logistically. I can tell you that, but I'm not certainly not opposed. Now, if you want to take it one step further, you want to do something really interesting. You do MSA on Friday, IndyCar on Saturday and NASCAR on Sunday. And that's going to blow the, that, to me, that, that could be something never been done before and could be outstanding. Throw in monster trucks, yeah. uh, <laughs> motocross, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something else. Uh, but yeah. yes, uh, I am officially down with that plan. Let's go to Simon Rafi. This is Mr. Shank. Boy, you're getting a lot of misters today. You, you're yeah, more respected that's my dad. now, huh? That's my that's my dad. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Simon, uh, wonderful listener from the UK, says, Mike, are there any ways IMSA happens to run their series that you think IndyCar could learn or benefit from? Um, you know, they are such different run organizations, and they both do different things really well. Um, I, I, I like, I, I mean, it. I, I don't want to throw anyone on the bus here, Marshall. No, because this is a bus-free zone. Yeah, you know, I don't want to, because the, the, the organizations have their strengths and weaknesses compared to each other. Um, they are vastly different in how they say do, how they load the trucks in, how they run tech, how they do administration side, you know, like uh, registration. They're vastly different both of them. Some, some are better at, at, than others. Um, I can tell you privately, I tell each of them what I think they could learn off each other. I don't know if I want to do it here publicly, but I can do tell you privately, I tried to, you know, I'm not the only one that does it. Remember, Ray Hall does it, Ganassi does it, Penske does it, you know, both series I'm talking. So I don't know how much effort they put into it, but I, I'll go to a John Doonan and I'll say, hey, John, you know, Him's we, the president. You know this just yeah, IMSA president. Here's something IndyCar did. I think it'd be pretty useful for you without giving any, there's no trade secret I'm giving up, but you know, this was helpful to me. I think it would be helpful to us on this side too. You know, I, I, I want to see everyone prosper, right? And, uh, and I have uh, vested millions of dollars in both series. And, um, uh, so that's kind of how I would leave that, I think. You know, one thing I'll just throw in as a guy who covers both and has competed in both. I love how IMSA intentionally goes through the headache, but the high value headache of inviting fans onto pre-grid, right? We think about Sebring and you can't fit everybody, right? But think about Sebring every year, for example, it is packed. (laughs) I don't go down to pre-grid because I can't, you, you can't walk around. You can't move because this is the one time of the weekend where it's open access. It's only however long it is, 15, 20 minutes, maybe a half hour. But they build into the schedule an opportunity for you, the fan, to you don't need a special ticket. You don't need it. Just if there's space, come on down, see the cars, take your pictures right there, talk to some crew members, and get up close and feel like you're a part of this big show 
just before it starts. Uh, I think IndyCar, if they're willing to welcome that or onboard that, Roger sees that. Tim Sendrick yeah. sees that. You know, the Bud Denker and that whole team knows what that is like. I think that'd be a pretty cool extra layer to add, just knowing the feedback you and I hear and others hear from IMSA fans going, yeah, I was there in the paddock and I got some photos from 15 feet away behind the barrier and whatnot. Man, <laughs> I was yeah. almost laying on the side of that car, you know, sprawled out across the hood. I was so close. And it's just yeah. getting, it, it's yeah. like being let into the zoo, you know, well, uh, but you're so, not going to get so, bit. Well, to, fur- to further that thought, I can tell you that Penske's edict to us is that everyone's going to have to give more with regard to access. Like, he, you're right. He gets it. He knows he needs to integrate it. You know, he's the one uh, specifically the push to having the public driver's meeting in IndyCar. It's something they do in NASCAR. Or, or, you know, it's more public in NASCAR, I guess, just the driver's meeting. And it's something that he really made sure happened. It would have happened at St. Pete. It'll happen whatever we do next. And that's a, a kind of by invitation, but it's more public than it's ever been. And uh, I think it's great. Anything we can do to change this thing up, get more people interested. I love it. All right. Got a couple more questions for you, Mr. Shank. Uh, Why don't we go with, let's go to Charles Hall, who was wondering how big will the party at the Copper Penny be if Meyer Shank Racing wins the Indy 500 and in a theme that Mr. Hall uh, seemingly mentions on some sort of daily basis. Uh, would you please give Ryan Eversley a test in your IndyCar? It's, so the party, the party will be, uh, uh, it'd be pretty significant. <laughs> and uh, we may start a small tremor uh, in this area of the country, I would say. It'd um, be the first party held at a rehab facility. Because it should just be the easiest, most efficient thing to do. Have your party, then we're just going to put you in your room there for a couple weeks to uh, dry you out. There are some folks that may listen to this that came to some of the parties we had after we won the Rolex in 2012, and they can relate to what they saw there. So <laughs> it, could, it could get sideways for sure. Let's see. Uh, let's go to Vincent Anderson. Vincent's always a great friend, friend of the paddock. Uh, missed seeing him and his family at St. Pete. Says, Mike, what productive or non-productive ways – do you de-stress? He says it's got to be a, spre- a stressful time for small business owners, but that's a great point. Other than uh, cracking open uh, your your favorite beverage, what are some of the Michael Shank uh, you know detuning items? Um, I'm I'm a super mega lake water person, right? So I live on a lake. I have boat on the lake. Uh, we surf behind boats. We have pontoon boat. Um, any extra time or any, you know, now, unfortunately it's not been warm enough yet in Ohio to get out on the lake, but it's coming very soon here. So even during this time of quarantine and, and, and staying away from people, we still could go out on the lake and that's what I'll do immediately. And, uh, it's, it's my one place where I can slightly detach and just hang with friends that we have out here at the lake and no one questions me on, uh, what we're doing next in race and it's awesome I'll, i hope no matter what you'll always find me on a body of water somewhere wherever i'm gonna live in the future i love it i love it let's go to eric hark raider says mike what is the dumbest thing a driver has ever said to you <laughs> the dumbest thing i don't even know where to begin with that i'll i'll tell you the the greatest thing a driver ever said to me is Andy Lally, okay? And Andy Lally said to me one time uh, on the on the radio, he's like, I'd like to move this guy. I need to move him with my front bumper. Do you mind if I move him with my front bumper? And I said, <laughs> I said, Andy, well, now that you've made this public, the answer is no. <laughs> so... <laughs> We laughed about that for a long time. The whole, the whole. When I looked up and I looked at the HPD guys that were there supporting the NSX when Andy drove in 2017, they were jumping up and down, waving their arms. No, no, no! And uh, I know he was laughing his ass off in the car after he said that. So. Lally is a savage, but that's why he is one of my favorite people in the sport. Uh, could you imagine him in an Indy car? Oh, oh it'd yeah. be the 
Oh, it'd be the best. I mean, he, no, I, loved, I, I, I loved having him draft for us. It was, it was a treat. He's another one of those guys like you, junior open wheel start and, uh, you know, ended up in, in other areas. All right. Great question here as we ramp down, Mike. This comes in from Fernando Diaz. It says, if you could put all the team owners in today's indie cars that used to race and run them, let's say Long Beach, for example, who wins? Roger Penske, Michael Andretti, Chip Ganassi, Dale Coyne, Michael <laughs> Shank, and so on. How you feeling uh, there, brother? Huh? That's that's a tough one. You know, I'm just thinking now who who's in there and, and, and what I know about. I would say Herda wins the race. Um, Vassar, Michael, Michael, I think Herda Vassar's good too. I mean, him Vassar Andretti, those three all kind of came along in the similar time periods. Um, you know, may, maybe Hurt is a little after their, the two of them. I don't know. So those three probably would be up in the mix there somewhere for sure. See, and I can't talk, but first of all, we know Chip's not going to fit in the damn thing. He wouldn't fit sideways. <laughs> and again, neither am I, so I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying, Dale, you know, he's that's he was a oversized to begin with when he drove back when the cockpits were large. Dale was always like, shoulders falling out of the cockpit so i don't know how no, he fits. I, I, can, I can get dale i got dale this i can i tell you i can do i can take care of dale we're throwing the gauntlet down coin <laughs> we're taking you out at long beach see i think we just found something of all the talk about i racing and we need to get all the drivers engaged this is the i racing event that needs <laughs> to happen i don't care yeah. how i need to know how iRacing is going to put together. Maybe we need to organize this, Michael Shank. Yeah. The IndyCar team owners, then we could do IMSA team owners who used to race. Yeah. That, yep. oh my gosh. And now, that could be big. That could be big. What do you think would happen with side bets, right? You know, do you think <laughs> folks would be rolling out some cash? Do you think there'd be yep. penalties in place? Because, you know, just trying to... You want to take out Roger, I guess, get him out of the way, but do you want to get a fine? I don't know how these things work. <laughs> I think there's something real to that. I do. Oh, my gosh. This is uh, oh, yeah. This is leading down a path that is great. I'm going to throw in a question. I'm going to start asking a lot of people and have actually. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the end of April, Mike. Yeah. The world celebrates the 19th anniversary of the movie driven not the 20th because we wouldn't celebrate it on a 20th anniversary because it was too much of pure hot garbage yeah what do you recall of the movie driven you were around at the time as was i when it was being filmed what do you recall of the time when sylvester stallone director rennie harlan burt reynolds and a variety of others invaded the uh the cart paddock to film in 2000 and then when that movie, probably the greatest travesty done to motor racing in no cinematic question. form, debuted in 2001, what comes to mind? A, a few things. Number one, I remember seeing Sylvester Sloan at Homestead in the pit lane. They were doing some pre-filming of some kind. I was toyed Atlantic racing then. And I remember seeing him there uh, all Hollywooded up and, you know, had zero idea what's going on around him. None. Um, <laughs> I, it's funny. I, I was there, too. Same thing, working (laughs) with, uh, what, Keith Hilton's Atlantic team, and remember seeing him in a mini entourage. It's funny. That's so brilliant, because I had the same thing, like, oh, there's still, and he looks totally oblivious. Like, if you told him he was at a NASCAR race, he'd probably go, oh, thanks. Wouldn't know. You know what's, but you know what, I tell you, I take, uh, well, then that stupid thing they did with the quarter two in the movie, I just, it just, it's just... (laughs) But but here's one thing. Here's a positive to take out of it, and you should know this, and I know you do. A lot of guys that we know in racing, drivers, made a lot of money filming scenes in those movies, right? Ooh. Like, uh, Ken, Ken, so Kenny Weldon drove for a couple of years and did real well for me in Toyota Atlantic, right? In yep. the late nineties, early love 2000s. Kenny, great Canadian race car driver. Yeah, he did a great job for me. But he got and he made more money doing that. And there's a bunch of guys that did that. So if there's anything positive coming out of that, some of those guys got to survive another year just because of that movie. Wow. How about seeing this, right? So the it happened it happened during the season. It was filmed during the season. There was great hopes. We had no idea 
what the final product was going to be. But at that time, it wasn't crazy to think that a Sylvester Stallone again and, you know, this part, there's some good names attached to this. There was a hope that this was going to take cart and just push it over the t- completely over the top. Go to the movie theater. And yeah, what were your thoughts? Not knowing what we were going to see with big hopes. What were your thoughts? I don't know. Five minutes into it. Half hour through I, I, it. Well, it's just I just can't believe they get it this bad. I don't understand why. Racing's <laughs> got to be about gear shifts and I'm flooring it on straightaways. I don't know. I don't know why it has to be uh, filmed this way. I don't know who thinks that that's how the public wants to see racing. And and I lo- and I actually appreciated the current movie that we all love, uh, Le Mans. Uh, you know the uh, Ford Ferrari thing. I, I I liked it a lot much better, but they still have that obligatory you know pedal movements, big downshifts in the middle of straightaways, and you know not to mention that they use Fontana for Daytona. <laughs> Um, but I, I guess it doesn't matter because the thing won a couple uh, Emmys and, you know, so I don't know. <sighs> Just to think, I mean, this is a crazy thing. No one has tried to do an IndyCar movie since I realize it's not like there's been 15 formula one movies or whatever, but man, this is, it's just speaking of viruses, man, this is the, the herpes of auto racing movies like uh it just seems to have killed the genre and it flares up uh with no cure whenever uh i guess i think about indycar movies i'm sorry if that yeah. visual is a little too uncomfortable a little, there. little too little too much yeah, yeah but why can't we you know i think when we get this top gun movie coming out in june i hope it still comes out by the way um you know why can't we get i'm imagining the production value i've seen on that is just tremendous right from everything i've seen and why can't we get a racing movie with that kind of true racing production value with a story like Ford Ferrari, you know, driven to coming to theaters. All right. Uh, Let's see. A couple more to close here. This from Jeff Markoski. He says, will Mr. Shank ever consider returning to IMSA's prototype class? Hell yeah. I will. Can we announce here? Three car, uh, Acura five. Let's just make it five Acura ARX05 DPIs coming next year. I, I'm not sure what we're doing at all, but and uh, whatever it is, you know, my goal is to be able to do DPI racing in the future, and um, I'm not letting go of that. We spent 13 years in it with the Grand Am and IMSA, and um, I want to get back to it when the timing is right. So the answer is yes. All right, we're uh, we're going to take let's say two more going to go okay. to jeff greendike this is mike you said in your visit to our friends at dinner with racers in your episode there that the reason you didn't call ryan eversley to go do a test with your Acura nsx program was because you didn't know him jeff says is knowing a driver one of the key prerequisites for you even giving them a chance to drive for you it's an interesting one right awareness and so th- I don't think this was meant as any slight to Ryan. We know that he is fast and a race-winning driver in the same Acura NSXs that you field. But how does awareness or knowledge of a driver beforehand rate in compiling lists of who you might want to have in the car? Yeah, you know, this whole world's built around relationships, right? Like uh, in anything, in any business, but in rela- racing specifically, we use um, relationships to, to tell us about and learn about other people and what they do. And, um, and I have a group of drivers that uh, I like, uh, just like Michael Andretti has some people he likes and Pansky. You know, we all kind of drift toward people we like, right, or for whatever reason. We've developed a relationship. We've watched what they've done. We've admired from afar, you know, all that kind of thing. We develop our own uh, clique. And, um, and, and I just did at that time, I just didn't know Ryan that well, uh, and what he's done and what he's capable of, but you got to remember, you know, I've got a group orbiting around me anyways, that drives in various ways, right? You take AJ Almendinger that's been with me for 14 years at the Rolex, and terrible, human the being. Project. terrible human and being. he is, he's, he's bad. Uh, to Oz Negri that spent 13 years on my payroll, 
uh, not only developed uh, my racing team, but also helped me develop the business side of things early on. Um, these are the things that get developed. And then he has a network of people that he likes to work with, you know, and it kind of expands out from there, you know? And um, yeah, so that that's really about it. And see, I think the real heart of the answer is since then you've gotten to know Ryan and you still don't put him in the car. So what the hell is that all about, Shank? All right, that's for <laughs> well, a future again, episode. Again, it's, it's, it's You're terrible too. Just, no, no. Well, it's, it's, it's basically always timing, right? It's just timing of when we need somebody and who does who do I want in the car who does Acura want in the car, um, you know, and, and coming up with a solution to fit that, you know, and it just doesn't always work for everybody. Uh, nothing against Ryan, what he's done and what, what he's been around Honda. He's done a great job for them for a long time. It's just circumstantial stuff getting in the way sometimes. In IndyCar, I regularly refer to Connor Daly as the people's champ. In IMSA and sports car racing, I refer to Ryan as a people's champ amazing yep. the connections he has forged with fans doing what he does i said i had one more question for you that is true got one more okay. question and then we're going to close with a statement uh that question circles back to something we touched on a little bit but i thought this might be just a, a direct way our pal ryan terpstra says hey mike anything we fans can do to help i don't know if he's so much meaning at your shop so much as sponsors teams and maybe any, again, any direction you might provide there, knowing that it could be applied to fans of other teams and other drivers as well. You know, I think supporting not only your team's drivers, um, but also the sponsors and being vocal about it. Uh, it matters. People read these things. So when you when you hashtag your at somebody um, like a, an act at Acura or at, at Honda, uh, I just bought a, you know, whatever. I just bought a Honda Civic, and uh, I did it because of this participation. And I think all that does actually matter. I think eyes get that get seen, and when times get tough, um, people, companies understand that the support is still there. It's just percolating, ready to come out when it's time. And uh, that is absolutely a powerful method, especially in the social-driven world, uh, that matters. And when I see it, when it happens to us, I just glow a little bit. And um, and it makes me feel great, you know. What Mike was wanting to say, and I'll say for him, go and buy your Acura Honda or a Chevy, if that's what you lean towards an IndyCar, through AutoNation. And when yeah. you're picking up that car at AutoNation, make sure you ask to subscribe to SiriusXM. SiriusXM. Uh, and Pandora. And Pandora, by the way, remember. Now, so. is that the little, like, wrist jewelry stuff, or is that the music service one? The music service. Okay, and I'm trying to think. Isn't there a rock something? Uh, let's um, let's try and come up with a contrived way to work in all your sponsors. Um, right. <laughs> anyways, well, let's do this. We're going to close with a fine, fine submission from Mark Milliken. And I wanted to save this for last because I really do think it, Mark speaks for many of us. Mark said, not a question, just a comment to pass along to Mike. Thank you for all the effort you've put into your IndyCar team. He says, no one has worked harder. And thanks for bringing Jack Harvey to the series. He says, your efforts have been noticed by serious racing fans. I hope everything is the best for you and your team as we navigate through these challenging times. So you're, uh, wow. you're one of that's my very, MVPs, that, that, pal. You help me do what I do uh, at all times. And I just know that fans like Mark, uh, I'm sure want to share the same sentiment. Thanks for being as open and honest. And frankly, man, you're a team owner. You're the least team owner guy. I know among team owners, you're one of us. Uh, and I think that is what really helps fans to connect with what you and your team happens to do. Well, that's awesome. That, that is incredible to hear, actually, especially in these times right now. So I'm just going to go tell my wife that so she believes I'm a decent person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, send anyway, us, right, send an alert. You know, we'll get that airdrop of bush light if needed. You know, we got to yep, look after yep. our pal Shank. Um, All right. Thank you, my brother. And a big thanks once again to Mike and just him being him. Don't change, Michael Shank. You are one of our rock stars. Thanks also again to you for the great questions that make this show what it is. 
obviously to our pals at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. And if this is your first time listening or one of your first, yeah, we got 750-plus podcasts in the can. They're all available on MarshallPruittPodcast.com, broken down into a variety of categories. Go from page to page. We can IndyCar. We can sports cars. In-car audio and ambient racing sounds, long-form interviews, I don't know, a whole bunch of nonsense. Hopefully, find something there that you might like to fill the time during this strange phase of life. Have a subscribe page, too, where you want to sign up to either live stream or download each episode the minute they go live. Everything you need there to get connected at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever else. Got a subscribe page there for you, too, that you might check out last thing gonna try and get a new series that i mentioned i don't know maybe september-ish going finally and hopefully it happens and i'm not just orphaning this idea here and it never comes to fruition but trying to start nine minutes of nonsense a nine minute show do it once a week maybe twice i don't know and it's just calling friends like Shank or whomever, drivers, team owners, I don't know. Just tell some stories, answer some stupid questions, got an opinion or a hot take, fire it away. we got nine minutes. From the minute we start, the clock is counting down, and we got nine. See what we can do in nine. So among the long-form podcasts you have each week to do whatever you do during those, you can also try and fire in some extremely short content too and maybe that'll also tickle some interest all right i am marshall pruitt this is the marshall pruitt podcast brought to you by those great sponsors and you and i'll speak to you next week